0: Good morning, guys. This morning, I shared a little story with James, and he goes, you have to share that in front of the body. So here it goes. Uh, (laughs) um, On any given Sunday, if you don't see me here, um, I'm most likely on Woodby Island, where we have another place. Um, And I go to a, a church called Island Church, and about a month ago, it's been about a month since I've been there, but a month ago, I was there, and um, some of the strangest-looking people you might ever meet uh, sat next to me. This one man had tattoos from his toes all the way up his neck and, you know, just everywhere. A little bit scary-looking. Um, and the young lady sitting next to him, she had more piercings on her face than I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, I got to chatting with them after service. and. I invited him back to our place for lunch, along with a couple other people. And um, that was the end of it for me. You know't I, I I, In fact, I told him, "If you don't take the offer today, you probably won't see me for six weeks, you know." <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just found out this last week um, that two days later, they contacted the pastor of the church, and they said, "We felt so welcome at your church that we would like to, you know, hear about Jesus, we want to give our lives to him. Yeah. And I'm thinking, James, why do you want me to share? I didn't do anything. Um, You know what? Because I really felt like um, God had been drawing these people in for a long time. He had a military background, some rough stuff. and, you know, it's just a very little part. I, I think God uses a lot of people on the journey. And when you meet people, you have no idea what their story is. And, you know, praise God that he, he does it all because, you know, we're kind of lame. <laughs> so anyways, uh, Bible reading this morning, John 17, uh, 20 to 23. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they, experience, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me.
1: Thank you so much, Dave. Um, I don't want to scare anyone. If you tell me a testimony, it doesn't mean you have to get up and speak that day. I'm not always going to force that upon everyone. I love hearing stories. You can say no if I ask you as well. It's allowed. I gave them the option to say no. But thank you so much, Dave, for sharing that. After he shared that, Dave said, you know, I didn't even share the gospel with them. I'm like, "Um, wrong. You were the gospel to them. Um, And you shared it in the most beautiful of ways. And so thank you, Dave, for your obedience. And I I love stories like that. And we'll be talking a lot more about that today. Um, well, good morning. My name is James. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to have you guys with us. If you're here for the first time, uh, we've been in a series in Ephesians, but today we're doing something a little bit different for day and and next week as we're looking at kind of who we are as Northfield and where we're going. This is our annual meeting day today, just after service. If you're here for service, please, please, you can go out, have some coffee or stick around and hang out, but please come back to the meal at 1215. Um, where we can gather together, hang out, have some food together, and talk about what God is doing and get to know one another better. We would love, love, love to see you guys there. Uh, Everyone is welcome to that. And and so today we're going to be looking at who are we as Northview and and where are we going as we move forward into 2023 and beyond. And there's many of you here right now who have been here for, for quite a while. And it's awesome, there's an incredible history and heritage here. And so, I want to do something a little bit weird, and I don't mean to offend you, but um, if you have been here for more than 10 years as part of Northview, would you be willing to stand up if this has been your home for more than 10 years? Just want to, want to kind of see who that is. So there's a number of us in this room that have been there for 10 years. Amen. Amen. Now, if you have been here for more than 15 years, stay standing. The rest sit. More than 15 years, stay standing. Okay. Now, more than 20 years, stay standing. Now, this is amazing. So, even in this room, we have people who are part of the initial church plan. Thank you, guys. You you can sit down. We have a number of people who have been here for a really long time, and that's awesome. But we also recognize that the majority of the room was not standing with either of those numbers. And that's also awesome. There's a history here that goes back to 1998. And as you saw, a number of, of them are here today who were not just part of the church plant, but you were part of like that year-long church gathering that happened at North Shore Community Church back in, in the late 90s of, of spending a year in the annex or the extra auxiliary room and being part of this plant with Dan Rupp back in the late 90s. And when Dan Rupp, who was the one that had upon his heart to plant a church and gathered a number of the families that are still here 24 years later, if my math is correct, uh, the way I've heard it is that he had kind of one singular focus of what he wanted to do, and the way he worded it was he believes that God's calling him to Mill Creek to kick Satan's butt in Mill Creek, but with, <laughs> but with slightly more colorful language than that, um, that you can't say from the pulpit. So, uh, but that, that was the intention of Northview from the beginning, according to Dan, was, and, and those were there, was was to kick Satan's butt, to see people come to Christ, to, to come against what was going on in those areas, and to see Jesus fo- people follow Jesus. And it, it's so beautiful. In fact, uh, they're not here, they'll be next service, but one of the families that's with us, Brady and Sonia Basin, were the first family to accept Christ out of Northview back in the day 20-something years ago. They were playing with basketball with Dan Rupp at, at the YMCA where he was volunteering and coaching, and, and they're still here today more than two decades later as the first fruits of this plant of, of seeing us kick Satan's butt in this area and seeing people come to Christ. And that, that brings me so much joy that the, the heritage and, and the intended purpose of Northview from the very beginning, the beginnings of of our DNA was that we would be able to see people come to know Jesus and come be part of his kingdom here in in Mill Creek and Everett and Bothell and beyond. And what's also awesome is that the majority of the people in this room, and and of those watching online haven't actually been here for more than 10 years. In fact, the majority of people that's becoming part of our church are more recently coming around the same time as Sarah and myself within the last couple of years. And, and I find that also cool. that There's a, a fresh wave of things that God is doing as we move into this next season of Northview. For those of you that are new or recent, uh, my wife and I, we just moved to Northview uh, we've been part of this church only for a couple years, and, and prior to that, the last 17 has been led by the incredible Steve Mitchells, and, and all that he's done, and his family, and the way they've cared and stewarded for this church has been absolutely amazing, and it's an honor that we have to be part of this season of Northview. And as we're coming into so I know most of you heard the story before, but for those who are new, I just want to make sure it's on the same page, and, and us coming here, so my, my background is I grew up just down the road from here, in fact, my, my mom attends with us, we grew up in the same house, we were just across the other side of I-5. But when I was 17, I left America as a full-time missionary and going overseas and spent a number of years working in church planning in China and then training pastors in in remote parts of the globe as I traveled all around the world until eventually we settled in South Africa where we worked with a Bible school there and, and led a Bible school for a number of years until a few years ago when the Lord called us back here to pastor in America. And as we were moving to the States, to, to pastor, even though we were full-time missionaries, I, I didn't see it a change of calling. I didn't see it really even a change of vocation, because even though I have a title of pastor now, I really see myself just still as a missionary, because that is our calling as all people. I mean, some of my roles have changed, some of them expanded, it's a different group of people. You guys are a lot more white than my last audience, that's for sure. Um, I was always the minority in every group I've ever been a part of, a leader, every leadership team, they always called me the token white guy, that they couldn't start until the token white guy showed up, and, uh, and, and so things are a little different here in Mill Creek, but... Um, other than that, it's basically doing similar things. Our, our, our job is, is a calling as a missionary to reach the lost. And as we were coming to America, there were three specific places that I was interested in, in, in pastoring as we, were, we had the whole nation open to us. I wanted to be either in, in San Francisco, in Portland, or Seattle. Those were the places most put my heart because they're the least reached parts of America. And we knew we were coming as missionaries, and we couldn't believe the opportunity to arrive to come back, not just to the Seattle area, but to the church that adopted us as, as missionaries when we got married back in 2008. And as we landed here, we were so grateful because this is one of the greatest mission fields in America. And not just America. You you realize uh, Seattle area is more unreached than the vast majority of where overseas missionaries serve. Now, sadly, it is a fact that over 80% of missionaries that serve overseas serve in reached areas, right? That serve in places. And that's just a reality because it's easier to to serve from those places. But we are more unreached than the places where over 80% of missionaries serve that work overseas that, that people support. Um which means that we are a, a greater mission field than the vast majority, not just of places of America, but even of the world of where people are serving. And that's an incredible opportunity that we get to call this place home. And so we are so excited to be here at this time and at this place in America, coming out of the timing, even of coming out of the pandemic as, as we're in a season of, of, of we're, we're seeing cultural Christianity dying out, especially in this area, not so much in other places, we just took a trip to, to, back to the Midwest, and wow, cultural Christianity is on full display of where it's cool, and the average person wants to do it. And it's kind of a weird, for those that travel a bit around the country, it's kind of weird to come back home and go, oh, we're different. Um, things have happened, there's little changes that are going on here. And, and some of those are for good, and others are for bad. But we're facing more pressures right now as a body of Christ, especially in this area, than any point in, in the history of, of America for, for the broader body of Christ. We're two-thirds of our kids nationwide, the statistics as we keep quoting, Two-thirds of our kids who grow up in the church by the age of 1829 are turning away. And we're seeing massive numbers of that happening, where the fastest-growing religious affiliation in America is not Christian or Catholic or even Muslim. It's nuns. Again, not the Catholic nuns, but the nuns who, 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 who sign on the, the, the statement of their religious affiliation. They have none, And what that means is more people are walking away from Jesus right now than are walking towards Him. And that's scary, but it's also an incredible opportunity. And we're facing a time where things are more polarizing than they've been at any time recently. And and we hear constantly the stories of churches closing and churches shutting down because of pastoral abuse and sexual abuse. I mean, all this stuff that, that is really, people would say, is almost working against what God has wanted to do in the church. But in some ways, it also creates the perfect bed of where there's a hunger and a place for us to be able to pour in. And after spending most of my life, adult life, working with uh, the, the persecuted church, working in places where it's literally illegal to be Christians, and where people are killed for their faith on a regular basis, and spending a, a lot of my time working amongst those people and befriending them in that area, it is with incredible hope and excitement as I walk into this season. Not that we're about to be killed for our faith here, that, that's not happening just yet, um, but where there's a resistance, we're working in a place where we as the body are, are no longer where it's just an easy decision to go with the flow, but we actually have to choose to make a decision for something. And that brings me incredible joy and excitement that we get to be at this time in this place. I genuinely don't believe there's been a better time in any recent history to be a Christian than, than right now. And I don't believe there's any place right now in America to be able, better to do it than right here in the Seattle area. And over the years, the church has used a lot of different philosophies and and models, and ministries, and methods to, to reach those who don't know Jesus, and, and, and there's no perfect model or method to reach the lost. There, there's no perfect way to do it, because in some, what, what works in some places maybe doesn't work with others. What works amongst some people may offend others. What works today might not work tomorrow, and, and so models and methods are always shifting, but our calling remains the same as the body of Christ in this Northfield. We spent the last few weeks in Ephesians kind of hammering again and again in the letter of Ephesians that we are called as a body together to become more like Jesus and for the sake of the world. We've been talking about that again and again, that we were called together to do this. And I've had multiple, multiple people come to me and say, James, I feel like you're repeating yourself a lot on this message in Ephesians. And I'm like, I'm glad you're listening. Yes, I am. Um, because it's not me repeating, it's, it's Paul. And I, I'm just trying to, to, to get his words out. And, um, and we're going to keep repeating it because Paul's going to keep giving that message. Because it's what we're called to do. And and Northview's mission statement has been this from the beginning, from the beginning of the DNA, going back to North Shore back in the 90s. Here's our mission statement. Northview exists to encourage people to become more like Jesus by celebrating God, serving one another, and sharing God's love for the world. That's our, our mission statement. Basically, we are called to actually become like Jesus in how we live and how we love. That's our calling as the body of Christ. All of this is for the sake of the world, that the lost would come to know Jesus. And this is what we are called to do. And my favorite passage that was our opening reading today, and I think I've read it probably, I don't know, maybe 20 times this past year, and it'll maybe 20 times or more, hopefully, this next year, is coming out of John 17. And it's Jesus's, in my opinion, Jesus's favorite prayer, because it's his last prayer he gives for the body. And it's not just praying for the disciples, but it's the only place where he directly prays for us. The final prayer before he goes and is crucified, and to me, it's the one we must spend more time in than any of his other prayers. And he says this, John seventeen 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they, that's us, will all be one, just as you, Father, and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they, that's us, be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. 22, I've given them, that's us, the glory you gave me, Father, so they, that's us, may be one, as we are one, he says. I am in them, and you are in me, Father. May they, again, that's us, experience such perfect unity, That the world will know that you sent me and that you love all of them not just us but all of them as much as you love me jesus prays that we will love one another to the same extent that the father loves the son and the son loves the father and the spirit loves the son and the father that we will have that kind of love and unity amongst one another he says it twice in this 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 prayer twice I mean, it dominates the prayer. This is his prayer for us, that we would live in such a loving way towards one another, but not just so that we would experience some nirvana-like unity amongst each other, but he twice gives the command and twice gives the reason. And the command is given that we would all be one with Trinitarian unity and love, but for a reason, in verse 21, so that people out there will know Jesus. The world will come to know Jesus. And then in 23, he says it again, may we experience this kind of unity, or they, may we today, he's talking about us today as the body, may we experience this kind of love for one another by sacrificially loving another. Why, he says, the result will be that the world will come to know Jesus and how much he loves them. How is it done? Through us as his body, living and loving like him. Jesus says the world will come to know him as we increasingly walk in love towards one another and love one another the way He, the Father, loves one another, and the Son and the Spirit. Other places, he describes our need to become like Jesus and how we sacrificially love one another. And this is all throughout Scripture. My favorite of which is coming in a few weeks. We're going to hit it in Ephesians chapter five. and verse one, we're going to get through it in a couple weeks, but a little spoiler right here to start with. He says in Ephesians 5:1, "Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children." Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. So Paul says we are to actually become like Jesus. We are to follow His example and do what He did. And and he doesn't just say generally, that doesn't just mean, you know, wear cool sandals and eat fish and be like Him. But he gives it very practical and he says, laying your life down for others. Loving others the way He loved us as He went to the cross. This is the calling of the church. It's the calling of the body of Christ. This is our mission as Northview, and it has been this way since the very beginning. This is what we are all about. We're not going any new direction. This is what we've always been about. It's always been our DNA. Everything we do, that every ministry we have is to help build up the body, to enable us to increasingly become like Jesus in how we live and how we love for the sake of the world. But it's no easy task. To actually live in love like Jesus takes reordering our lives. It takes reordering every aspect of who we are to become more like Him. It doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen easily. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, as Paul talks about. It requires addressing a lot of our disordered desires and disordered loves in the way of our brokenness and being honest with our brokenness and addressing those things. It requires a great deal of humility and honesty and and doing the long, slow soul work of allowing the Holy Spirit to replace our broken desires with His, and our broken inclinations with His desires and inclinations for us. It takes genuine discipleship to become actual followers of Jesus, to not just know the right answers, but to live them out, to increasingly live as He lived and to love as He loved for His thoughts and His mind and His attitudes and His desires to increasingly become ours. And, and that doesn't happen overnight. In fact, I recently had someone tell me, they said, James, I get it, we're supposed to live and love like Jesus. Okay, when are you moving on? And I'm like, when that's actually becomes our norm. Right? Paul said in Galatians, we read it last week, he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth for you until we reach the full measure of Christ. Like, that's the goal for us to actually become like Christ, not just individually, but as a body. And so we're going to come back to this again and again and again and again and again. Because so often, as, as Christians, we... We, we try to take the shortcuts. We want the, the, the fast food versions of Christianity, the microwaveable discipleship, kind of like the, the, loss, the, the weight loss plan that's just, you know, like three minutes a day with a shake weight, and somehow you're going to lose weight of some kind, right? And think that that's going to do it. And that's the form of Christianity we all want. We want to just be able to shake something and somehow, or wear a belt around our waist, and somehow it does all the work for us. And, so we look to church programs, we looked to other things, and we looked to so many fast food versions of what this may be. I mean, you can find books, you go to the bookstore, I guess Amazon, you can find like three minutes a day for, for a deep prayer life. I'm like, sure, that's better than nothing, but you don't get a deep communion with your spouse with three minutes a day of connection. So increasingly, again, we, as Christianity, we, we rely upon the flash and the lights and the glitz and the glamour and the programs and the systems, thinking that that's the way to disciple and to reach. And it's not that those things are wrong to invite people to programs we, we, we encourage people to invite but in fact we, we have to use every medium we have and those are beautiful and we we try to make spaces that are inviting for, for other people who don't know jesus but the primary way of jesus in scripture of seeing people encounter him wasn't through some massive event but it was done through his people empowered by the holy spirit actively living and loving like jesus that's the way of scripture but at a time of fast food Christianity, this, this form of long-term soul work has often been left in the dust in favor of the, the, quicker method, the quicker, easier methods that don't require us to actually change that much, that don't actually take much from us, where the emphasis is just on inviting someone to come listen to a professional speaker to encounter Jesus through a, a special worship night or something else. And regarding, uh, regarding this, G.K. Chesterton has this great quote back in 1910. He wrote this. He said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Right? And so we choose the easier fast food version. We choose the microwave version. The way of Jesus of actually increasingly becoming like him, of living and loving like him, takes an incredible degree of realigning our lives to His. And I'm not saying we don't do this. There's so many here, this is our life and the way we live, and this is what Northview's all about, but this is speaking more generally and broadly. Where we're willing to address our prejudices and our anger and our brokenness. Not judging other sins when calling them worse than our own, but pursuing the Spirit to bear the fruit of gentleness and compassion and humility and meekness and love in our lives. And there's this incredible passage in the book of Galatians. I love it so much. I was just teaching Galatians. I was out this week teaching in a Bible school down south, and, and, uh, and this passage is just before the fruit, the famous fruit of the spirit passage, and, and here what Paul is describing is the works of the flesh, of what destroys us and brings death, and he says this, Galatians 5, 19, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what's amazing in this passage is Paul basically hits everyone here in this way. And these are things that are evidence of someone not living and loving like Jesus, someone that's not pursuing Christ in that way, and includes some of the obvious things, the no-brainers, and includes sorcery and witchcraft. We get that. Not a good thing. Debauchery, horrific levels of sexual immorality. Orgies. Yep, we recognize probably shouldn't do that. And we, we all recognize those things are, are, are pretty messed up. And as Christians, it's very easy for us to get hyper-focused on those and judge the people that are engaged in those ones, whether we're judging those coming out of maybe Wiccan backgrounds or those coming out of incredible degrees of sexual immorality or broken layers of sexual identity, that we, or, or people that are practicing things that we consider you know, gross sexual sins beyond what we're practicing. But notice what's jammed right around all of that. Impurity. Selfish ambition, jealousy, discord, hatred, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness. They're all just mixed in together. There's no hierarchy here. They're all just thrown in there together. And and somehow, we as the body of Christ, while we're known for hating and being against all the things in the first list, and I, I guess that's good, but the second list, in fact, we're known for not just being okay with, but in some cases, embracing and creating turning a blind eye or sometimes outright embracing some of the things and of the other things that are there because it's much easier to go after the external sins of others than to actually seek to become like christ and see our hearts become more like his the past couple years in america i mean it's it's pretty easy to pick on us as a nation we we failed pretty miserably as a body of christ and so many of these things in this list were on full display in the body of christ i mean we again we tried really hard here to to not walk in those ways but man It was just hard to not get caught in a faction. It was hard to not have hatred rising in our hearts. We even saw so many people, not just this church, but all across this region, who who left other places because it just got so bad they couldn't even live here any longer for many. And in the letter of Galatians, Paul calls out the hypocrisy of the early Christians. And he even goes after Peter's hypocrisy, an incredible way in which he does that, because Peter, the chief apostle, was doing it as well. And we should hear Paul calling out our hypocrisy at the same time. We are called to be followers of Christ, to to be his disciples. And while we so badly want it to be true, the reality is systems don't usually disciple very well. Programs don't usually disciple in the ways of Jesus. Many historic church programs are, are great and they give lots of knowledge, but they tend to lack in the area of actually causing people to live more like Jesus. One of the best books outside of Scripture that I could ever recommend is written by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. I, I can't recommend enough, but it does come with two caveats. One, it's not a light read. And two, it will mess you up in the most beautiful ways, but don't read it if you don't want your life to be shaken and turned upside down. And this book, Divine Conspiracy, he, he, he calls for the body of Christ to live out our calling, to actually live and love like Jesus. And the first time I read this book was over 10 years ago. And while we were still in full-time missions and leading a Bible school and I was working uh, amongst the gangsters and the prostitutes doing ministry and all this other stuff and I was full on board going for God. And and when I came to the following quote, I immediately knew that if I ever became a pastor and God shifted it, I am going to change the way, I'm going to do things differently than than the way I was doing them before. I I was just so challenged by this. And the divine conspiracy says this, I want to give this quote. He says, imagine if you can discovering in your church letter or bulletin an announcement of a six week seminar on how to genuinely bless, we're not quite there yet, uh, imagine if you can discover your church bulletin, a letter of announcement on how, a six-week seminar, how to genuinely bless someone who's spitting on you. How to live without purposely indulge lust or covetousness. Or on how to quit condemning people with you, or the people around you. Imagine also a guarantee that at the end of this seminar, those who have done this prescribed studies and exercises will actually be able to bless those who are spitting on them and so on. I mean, imagine when you did something that people actually did the thing you talked about. In practical matters, to teach people to do something is to bring them to the point where they actually do that thing when appropriate. I mean, a a novel concept. When you teach adults to ride a bicycle or to swim, you expect them to actually ride bicycles or swim on the appropriate occasions. You don't just teach them that they ought to ride a bicycle or that they should ride a bicycle or if it'd be good to ride a bicycle or they should be ashamed if they don't ride a bicycle. You expect them to actually ride a bicycle. And similarly, when you teach people to bless those who curse them, they should actually bless those who curse them, even family members and those they don't like. They recognize the occasion as it arises and when they respond, it comes directly from the heart because the heart of of Jesus has become their own. They do it and they do it well. Okay, now here's the part I want to hammer and this is the part that made me think, I want to do this. Not just personally, but if I were to be part of a church, this is is what the whole church has got to be about. It gets to this line. He says, imagine further. Driving by a church with a large sign out front that says, we teach all who seriously commit themselves to Jesus how to do everything he said to do. He says, if you had just been reading the Gospels, you might think, of course, that's exactly what the, the leader of the church, Jesus, told them to do. But your second thought might be, This is a highly unusual church. Which church actually does that? Can this be right? I mean, can it be real? When do you suppose was the last time any group of believers had a meeting of its leaders in which the topic for discussion and action was how they were going to actually teach their people to actually do the specific things Jesus said? That's the calling of the church. To actually become like Jesus and live and love like him. To not just cherry pick the ones we like that agree with our political or theological worldviews or agendas, but or by avoiding the certain sins that are more heinous that we deem more heinous than others. We are called to become like Jesus in all ways by sacrificially loving others, by actually seeking to walk in unity with one another to such a degree that those who do not know Jesus are drawn to him by witnessing our love for one another, by being willing to take an honest look at our beliefs and and our actions and our thoughts and how we spend our time and our money and seek to increasingly conform our lives to His. To follow His example of sacrificially caring for the poor and the broken and the hurting. To be willing to be honest and humble and address the prejudices in our own hearts. Especially growing and loving those who we struggle to relate to or those who are not actively following Jesus and whose lifestyles we fundamentally disagree with. That's our calling. That's the mission of Northview, and it's always been our mission from the beginning to become more like Christ together, to actually increasingly live and love like Jesus for the sake of the world. And then we would seek out those who are hurting on the, or on the margins or, or those who are deconstructing and kind of their whole faith is falling apart and they're, they're in that process of just wondering what's true anymore. Those who sin differently than ourselves, and we would meet them that where they are and demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And that like one of my favorite stories of Jesus is found in every one of the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of the Synoptic Gospels—and it's the story of Jesus calling Matthew. And after he calls Matthew, the tax collector's out there. He goes that night, goes right to his home, and he's part of this big party at Matthew's house. And at this party, it's filled with other tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. It's like the who's who of the sin list of, of that area, right? And at this party, they're serving wine and fancy food. All of it is paid for with the stolen money of the tax collectors from the Jewish people. It's all stolen food. All stolen money money was used to, to buy all this, this wine and food. And, and the people there, they're getting drunk and there's this big party going on. And Jesus is right there in the midst of it. He's at this party. And he's just, he isn't just standing on the edges, you know, kind of judging people, trying to stay away from the sin and make sure the sin doesn't infect them. But it tells us that he's, reclining at the table with the tax collectors and sinners. What does that tell us? He's not standing on the corner and judging, but he's right there with them at ease. He's not judging from afar. He's not preaching. He's not teaching in this way. He's listening and loving and demonstrating his love for them, and they are drawn from him. And crazily enough, Jesus is eating the stolen food and drinking the fancy stolen wine. And then the party poopers come in, the religious ones, the the Pharisees come in and say, Jesus, how on earth can you be doing this? this is, these are sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. How could you do this? And Jesus' response to them is, I did not come for those who think they are righteous like you. I came for the sinners. I did not come for those who think they are healthy like you, even though you're wrong, he's saying. I came for the hurting and the sick. And that's the passage that turned my ministry around 10 years ago. Although I was a missionary still, up to that point, my primary ministry had been training pastors and and, and missionaries across the world. And at that moment, the Lord just spoke directly to my heart. Then I called up my buddy who grew up in the township near our house there in Cape Town where we were living. And I said, dude, the Lord's telling me to go to the least, the lost, the broken. And I said, where do the the gangsters and the drug dealers hang out? Just drop me off, man. And I went and he went that next day, literally the next day, he, he took me and dropped me off at the right on the street at the corner where all these gangsters and drug dealers were hanging out. He goes, there they are. And I dropped me off. And long story short, that began a decade of incredibly fruitful ministry of working amongst the least and the lost and the most broken of society. Jesus went amongst the most, those most trapped in sin and brokenness. He slept in their homes. He ate meals with them. He ate with them and, and he loved them in such a way that they were drawn to him. They actually wanted to be around Him. And then He calls us to follow His example, to love like that, to do that, to do what He did. Jesus went to their parties. He invited them into their places where they were gathering. And we are called to follow His example, to welcome those who are hurting and again, deconstructing or struggling or sinning differently than we sin, to share meals with them and befriend them. I mean, what an incredible story just sharing of Going to that place and the response is, come, why don't you come have a meal with me? And yes, you were a later link in a chain of the seeking of the process that was going on, but we just shared But This is this on display. That was the gospel on display. And by inviting someone into our, your house for a meal, the Lord used that to encounter them. and They experienced the love, even without the preaching part. You see, the early church was a really messy place. We often want things pretty clean and tidy as a church, but that's not what the early church was like. It was filled with people who had been mature Christians of years, been pious Jews, sitting right next to really, really messy seekers, people that are still involved in idolatry and sexual perversions of levels we can't even imagine today, in the same room with each other. There were mature Christians sitting next to idolaters and and drunkards in the same room, and that was the church. It was awesome and there's a phrase i've seen in many churches i've been a lot of churches over the time and it's on a board somewhere a wall or someone's on a website looked at other websites and it's three words and it's not these are wrong but it, it says believe then belong and then bless And the meaning behind that is, once we all come to believe the same stuff that we believe, once uh, we agree with all the doctrines that we agree with, and and maybe once, once you vote like we vote and act like we act and you fit in the box that we fit in, after you do that, then you can belong with us. You'll be one of us once you get all your life together and figure all that stuff out. And then once you belong, then together we can go bless other people. So you believe like us, then we'll belong, and then we can go bless. And I understand where that's coming from, except I don't see Jesus of the early church kind of following that example. What I see in Jesus is He went where the people were. He went to the people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the hurting, and He loved the hell right out of them, wherever they were. They knew that they belonged with Him. They were drawn to Him, and they belonged with Jesus way before they even believed in who He was or what He was doing, way before they knew they belonged. And I believe we must get back to living and loving like Jesus. And I know that many of us already do this and we're moving in this way as a church, but I'm just going to keep emphasizing this is on where we're going, who we are, where we're going. This is who we are and this is where we're going. We must continue to return to the ways of Jesus, to love the hell out of those who are hurting and broken, to welcome them, to be a community where those who are seeking, even in their brokenness, can belong and receive love and begin to love others, even before they believe, in fact, way before they start to believe. In fact, if I were to take those three words, I would completely rearrange them. If I were to rearrange them, I would say it should go belong, then bless, and then believe. It doesn't have to always be in that order, but that's the order I've witnessed more than anything else in 25 years on the mission field and, and working with the most broken people on the planet. And it's what I see demonstrated in the early church, that as we actively seek to live and love like Jesus, people feel loved and cared for and feel a sense of belonging. And at that point... They even begin to change and, 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 and turn away from some of their brokenness, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in their life. Before they even know who the Holy Spirit is or what it means to believe in Him, the Spirit begins to work as they feel belonging, and they begin to bless others, and they begin to change, and eventually, oftentimes, they begin to believe. I've seen this in so many crazy ways in South Africa over the years specifically is working with some of those broken people on the planet, people that have murdered so many people and raped so many of gangsters that I was working with and drug dealers and hardened criminals. And so often as I'm working with these guys, I mean, they're just starting to pursue Jesus. We start meeting and talking about him. Hardened criminals and gangsters and murderers begin, be curious about this Jesus guy and we can gather together and we start forming community. They begin belonging. And then even these gangsters start going out and blessing others and, and helping other poor people around. No joke, hardened gangsters, murderers and, and, and thieves and, and, and all these guys are going out and looking for ways to help the poor and the hurting and, and other people around them. It was amazing to watch. And this is before they even really knew who Jesus was, but the spirit was moving in their life. We'd have prostitutes on a street corner ministering to other prostitutes where they don't even believe in Jesus, but there's something happening in their life as they're experiencing the spirit and it was real and all this happened way before there was a point where you could say they began to believe and every act interaction we have with people we are who are not actively following jesus or even those who are it should be our desire to help them see jesus a, a little more clearly just like the story that dave just gave Sometimes it happens miraculously in a moment. I could tell story after story of someone who wasn't following Jesus, and we prayed for them, or we met with them, and boom, in the moment they came to Christ, and we celebrate those. And those are awesome, but those are not what's normal usually. It often takes years. With each encounter, they see a little more of Jesus, and they're drawn a little bit more towards Him through the way in which we live and love like Jesus. And I want to give an illustration of this. I don't mean to be weird, and this probably won't translate very well online, but I'll ask for a couple of you guys to help me out here. So, uh, Amanda. Could you come stand right here? I'm going to ask a couple participants here. Um, and could you kind of face away from me? You can still look. You don't have to awkwardly face the crowd. You can, just, you can still I want you to body position away, but you can not have to look at everyone. Do you feel awkward? Wait, you? I want your body position facing that way, away from me. But you don't have to look at everyone because it's going to be awkward for you. Um, Janice, would you stand up? And would you kind of face sideways over there? Um, John Templin, would you stand up? Would you kind of face that way, Maybe. And I can't see who's in the back corner over there. Carlos, would you stand up? All right, Carlos in the back. And would you, yes, keep facing right out with me. And who's back there? Jonathan, would you stand up? And would you turn around and face the wall? All right, you can still look at me. All right, so now what I'm, and I'm in this situation, I'm gonna be Jesus, but just kind of imagine this. And, and everyone here are people in different stages. And this is what all of us are in this place. We all fit in this category. In different ways of postures and positions towards following Jesus. And, I, and so in this case, situation, I'm Jesus. And So in this case, we have people in all different, not just place, how proximity, how near they are to him, but their current position towards him, their posture towards him. And so, for example, we have people far away, like Jonathan standing back in the corner back there. He's far away from Jesus, and he's pointing the other way. He is no interest in God, far away, going the other way. He is in a bad place, and he's continuing to go in even worse places. This is a dangerous position to be, obviously. And for someone like him, as I'm gathering, as we as a body with him, our our job isn't to say, come to Christ, but it's how can I get Jonathan to just prick his ear with something of who Jesus is by the way I love him, right? Maybe to to get him to ever so slightly turn his head or even just his heart in some way. He's probably not going to take a step forward today, but I want to love him in such a way, whether at the grocery store, at work, in in some way that's going to cause something in his heart just to ever so slightly, maybe it's imperceptible, turn into some curiosity of who Jesus is, right? Or we have Amanda right here who's really close. I mean, she has walked really close to Jesus, right? Amen for that. But there's a massive problem. She is facing away. She is walking away and she's one of the most dangerous. Even though she has been close, she's in the most dangerous places of anyone in the room as she's actively walking away or Janice over here, who's a different place. She's kind of facing near, but she's walking close. Amen for that. There's interest. And so as I engage with with anyone, Amanda or John or Janice, I'm thinking, Lord, I, use me in their life. May they see you in the way that I have lunch with them, the way I have a meeting with them, and the way I meet them at the, at the, at the water, uh, having a glass of water at a break. And when I meet them at the grocery store, or, or I seek for coffee, or invite them to my home for lunch, may she take a step towards you or turn her head towards you in some way. Same thing with John over here. He's facing away, but he's, he's come in different directions. And it's the same as asking god for that and then we have my favorite we have carlos in the back and carlos represents someone who is far away deep in sin maybe like some of the gangsters i talked about his life is a wreck he is pursuing no, sorry not talking about you but but it's um imaginary but his life is a wreck it's a disaster it's filled with sin and brokenness and, and and he's but the thing is despite the fact he is living in object sin a person that many of us would one might naturally judge in some ways again not talking about you but uh, the, the position here but he's in one of the most amazing postures of anyone in the room. He's Something about Jesus has attracted him, and there's something there, and despite the fact that some people might be deeply offended by the way he's currently living his life, there is something incredibly beautiful that he is pursuing Jesus and beginning, looking right out of him, of beginning to take steps towards him. And as I engage with Carlos or anyone, it's the same goal. Jesus, use me some way in their life that they can take a small step or a big step or just turn their head or turn their eyes in some way. You guys can sit down. Thank you for that. Sorry to make it awkward. But following Jesus is not you're in or you're out. And I want to say this so clearly that for so many people church that we just kind of set a boundaries and say you got to believe all this stuff and do all this stuff and then you're in. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Instead, Jesus is like a well and people are all over the map. In fact, everyone here, if you're saved, you're all over the map in proximity and posture to Him and we're all different places and He's calling us closer to the well. In fact, if you take an average poll of the average body of believers, and I've done it so many times in a body just like this, on average, really only 10 to 20% of Christians can actually tell you the moment they accepted Christ. Only 10 to 20% of people on average. I don't need to do it because I've done it so many times, it's that way in every room. Which means all of us are on a journey. All of us are on a journey in some place towards Him. And the example of Jesus in Scriptures, it's, it's not like a set of walls that we must all fully conform to, and then we are inside but Jesus says he is the living water and he is drawing people to himself. And so we need to see people take steps towards Jesus or just maybe take an imperceptible turn of their heart towards him that we can't even see from the outside. And every interaction I have, people living and loving like Jesus, is that as I am with them, they will encounter Christ in some way and maybe I won't see it. But I want to love and love in such a way that they take movement towards Christ in their heart or with steps towards him. Our goal is to love the hell out. Of Amen. I'm going to keep saying that because I love it. That's what we're called to do. that They encounter Jesus when they encounter us. And so again, when I work with anyone in any of those positions, whether i got 10 seconds or 10 hours with them, that's my focus of that time is Jesus. May they experience you. May there's something in their heart that they see you. And an amazing thing happens. Time after time I've seen it. Hundreds of times. Thousands of times. As people begin to take, take steps towards Jesus, even those in the most horrific of sins, You know what begins to happen? Their life begins to change. The closer they get to the well, the more their life begins to reflect Jesus. It happens every time. Shockingly, almost like what the Holy Spirit said is true that He will do the work. And I see it happen with gangsters, I've seen it happen with prostitutes, I've seen it happen with mass murderers, I've seen it happen with just your average bloke who grew up in a strong Christian home and is just kind of bored by the idea of Jesus. This is our mission as a church. It's been our dna since the beginning it's who we are and it's where we're going this is our calling as followers of christ and for many this is already your focus and amen for that keep going keep running but for others of us we need to reorient how we live how we engage with people around us, and how we engage with the Lord that we're actually becoming more like Him, becoming the kinds of people that can naturally love people even when they spit on us, even when they're angry at us, even when they spout some political idea that we hate with, or some ideology that we radically disagree with, or some worldview idea that we radically disagree with, that our heart is a posture of how do I love them and how them experience Jesus right in the midst of this. And so week in and week out, this is what our focus is going to be. And yes, that means I'm going to keep repeating myself. Um, sorry for those of you getting a little tired of it. I won't repeat myself, I promise, as much as Paul and Jesus do. But we're going to keep coming back to this again and again, to reorder our lives in such a way that Jesus becomes more of a reality in our lives, individually and corporately. It's who we are, it's who we've always been, and we're doubling down on this as we move forward to this next season of Northfield. So as we wrap up today and finish, this day of, of vision of who we are and where are we going. And I want to share two specific targets that I have for us today. Not just I, that we've been praying through as a staff and as an elder team of kind of what are some targets to aim at and for this year? And they're related to what we just talked about. And, um, these are things we've been praying for, not just things we hope for, but things we believe that God has put upon our hearts to, to really seek after. And it's not about numbers, it's not about trying to do something, but this gets back to the original, initial founding is we're here to kick Satan's butt in Mill Creek, right? And we want to see God move, we want to see him come alive. In people's lives. And so there's two specific goals we have for 2023 as a body. One is that we would grow as Northview by about a third this year, about 100 people. And that isn't about growth for the sake of growth, but specifically amongst those who are unchurched or dechurched. So my interest has nothing to do with growth for the sake of growth sake. I have no interest in becoming a megachurch or some fancy place. That's not at all. We are called to reach the lost. And so as we're just praying and praying that God is challenging us to actually reach out to those who don't know him, the unchurched to the de those who have walked away from God and maybe are alone or, or those who have never walked in near him in the first place. And that's not possible. This is impossible. We're not a big church. This is impossible for us to do. And that's the fun thing about trusting in God. And it's not something I can do. It's not something any one of us can do. The only way this happens is all of us intentionally engage with those around us and seek to believe that everything we do has an impact on the kingdom and we seek to live and love like Jesus in all of our relationships and that God will begin drawing people who don't know him. I have no interest in drawing people from other churches who are just you know, just church hopping because maybe the, the, the speaker talks a little faster or the worship leader is a little better or, or, or maybe he can tell different kinds of stories. That's, that's not the interest. We want to see people who are not engaging with God come to know him. And the second goal is directly related to that. And I said, we would like to see this next year at least 20 people make first-time decisions for Christ. I know it may be weird for like, Why are we putting numbers on this? Because we want to have something to say, this isn't just something we want to say, hey, let's, let's try. And at the end of the year, we can come back and say, well, we tried. We actually, we, I seriously was praying to the Lord, like, Lord, what is not just realistic, but what is something that you want to see happen? We saw a number of people do this last year. This will be significantly more. We saw over 30 people baptized this last year, and that was awesome. But a lot of those were people kind of recommitting or making that commitment later in life. And we're saying, Lord, we want to see at least 20 people in this next year make a decision to follow you. And that only happens When we have a lot of people who are engaging with, who do not know Jesus and are seeking and are beginning to belong well before they believe. And that takes all of us. It means every one of us saying, Lord, I want to be part of reaching out for your kingdom and living and loving like you. And to make that more practical, if you look on your your chairs, I would ask everyone to, there should be one of these on every one of your seats. Please pick it up and look at it for a second. In your hand, touch it. It just says, I commit to intentionally engage with these five people in 2023. That's all it is. Well, I want to ask you, you're not going to turn this in. This is for you to keep, to put on your mirror somewhere at home. But prayerfully, ask the Lord, who are five people who are currently not following Jesus? They're in and around your life. Either de-churched or unchurched that you can intentionally engage with. And yes, pray for, but go beyond just prayer. People that you can invite to your home for a meal. Go have coffee with have conversations with at work, or maybe neighbors that you intentionally pursue, but five people who are not actively following Jesus, who you will intentionally pursue in this next year, and begin to actively, intentionally seek the Lord of how do I explain, or how do I share your love with those who do not know it? Maybe invite them to a church service at some point, but it's not about that. It's about them coming to know Jesus through experiencing the love of Christ through you. I want everyone to pick five, and if if it's doing this, for some of you, that's easy. There's some of you that's like, how do you, just five, I have like 50 that are just on my top of my list. Amen, God bless you, I'm jealous, but amen. There's others of us that are maybe like five. I can think maybe one. Some of us live in Christian bubbles. And I'll be honest, some of the worst at that are those in full-time ministry. And I have to just, I'll just completely be honest with you. I, 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 I can't just instantly write down five. I have them, I was able to put them down on my own list, but I had to be thinking, who are those? Because since taking over this role as being senior pastor in July, um, my focus has been on doing ministry and shepherding and, and caring for others and caring for my family and caring for my mom and, and it, it breaks my heart that it's 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 really impacted the time i've spent in the world and so even this week and or this last few months as so i'm praying through it's just like lord reorient my heart reorient my time reorient my priorities because i must be spending time with those who do not know you amen let's pray as we finish jesus i just say thank you that you've called us to this body at this time in this place to this city of this area in the Seattle area, and specifically Mill Creek, Bothell, Everett area, or Woodinville, wherever we're from, or Kirkland, Lord. You've called us at this time and this place to be here at the perfect timing for you to use us to impact your kingdom and to see others come to know you. So Jesus, I pray for an anointing upon this body. Holy Spirit, anoint us to take your words, to take your life, to take your love, and spread it to those who do not know you. Lord, empower us, embolden us to love like you. get I love the story that Dave just shared this morning. Just taking someone to a meal who wouldn't naturally maybe hang out with and loving the hell right out of them. And Jesus, you did the work. He was just obedient. Holy Spirit, move each of us towards those who do not know you. And this next year, God, may we see so many people come to know you, Jesus. May we be part as a body of celebrating again and again of those who take steps towards you, Jesus.